Can you remember a time when you've had to introduce yourself and explain who you are? You know, maybe you're with a new group of people, maybe you're in a class, maybe you're in a small group, and someone asks you that very, you know, broad question, tell us about yourself. Or someone might ask you, you know, just introduce yourself to the group, and you have to decide what you're going to say. You know, you might think about saying some things about your family. You might talk about what you do for a job. You might talk about some passions, maybe some hobbies that you have. But you know, that question of who are you, explain who you are, it's really something that we all strive after, I think, all the way through our life. We're always trying to figure out, who am I? What am I really about? What does my life mean? What is my purpose? Now, oftentimes, we end up finding our identity in a variety of places. You know, sometimes our identity becomes our job. You know, sometimes our identity becomes our title, Sometimes our identity becomes a relationship. Sometimes our identity is a hobby or a passion that we have. Sometimes our identity is maybe in the form of our bank account. Well, today we're kicking off a new series that we're calling This Is Us. And it's a look at the book of Ephesians. And as you heard in the announcements, there are small groups that are going to be meeting all throughout the week as we go through this series, and we really, really hope that you are plugged into a small group. And if you're not, it's not too late. We'd love to get you hooked up. Just let us know that you'd like to get into a group. But I'd like to invite you at this time to grab your Bibles, grab your Bible app, however you like to engage with Scripture, and we're going to look at the very first part of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Now, if you're maybe new to the Bible or you kind of forget where things are, Ephesians is in the New Testament, so you're kind of into the back third of the Bible. And you can always remember Paul's letters by the acronym God's Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God's electric power company. So we're in E, Ephesians. And so here's what Paul has to say to us today. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kindness, what showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together 
under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Now the book of Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote sometime in the year 61 or 62. So basically within one generation of Jesus' death and resurrection. And the reason that's important is there were still people alive who were eyewitnesses to what Jesus accomplished on earth. There were still eyewitnesses who saw him hang on a cross and then saw him resurrected and alive again. And it meant if you had questions about Jesus, you could actually go ask someone with firsthand knowledge. At the same time, the disciples at this point either had already gone to their death or were about to go to their death defending their faith in Jesus, which is a pretty convincing thing, I would say. But Paul was this powerful Pharisee, a religious leader, and his goal was to persecute and even eliminate Christians. Paul was responsible for putting in jail, for beating, and even executing countless Christians. But one day, Jesus appeared to him, and in doing so, he called Paul out, and he transformed his life. And Paul became one of the most influential evangelists in all of history. He's responsible for bringing the gospel message around the world. He planted churches throughout Asia and throughout Europe. And after he planted these churches, he would serve as their mentor. He would write letters, and he would give advice, and he would help them stay on track. So this particular letter is written to a church that's in a town called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And you can see up on the map where the star is. It's kind of on the coast of Turkey. Now, Ephesus was a very cosmopolitan city. It was a major center for commerce. Now, don't imagine a backwoods, rural, dusty desert town at all. This was like the New York, New York City or the Tokyo of its day, a very cosmopolitan place. The very most famous structure in Ephesus was called the Temple of Artemis. And it was one of the original seven wonders of the world. Now, it's basically all been knocked over at this point, but that's an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like. Just a spectacular structure that was known all over the world. It had 127 60-foot marble pillars surrounding it. 
And there were some people who traveled in that time who saw all of the seven wonders of the world and said this one was by far the most spectacular. The footprint of this building was the size of a football field, and some say it maybe was the largest structure in the world at that time. But it was also the very center of pagan worship. Artemis is the goddess of fertility. And so all sorts of scandalous behavior took place within that temple. Ephesus also had a very large theater that actually seated 25,000 people, and there's still ruins there that you can visit today. It was built by the Greeks, and then when the Romans took over, they expanded it, and it's where you could go to be entertained almost every day of the week. There would be dramas, there would be comedies, and it was also where they would have gladiators face off and all sorts of horrible things would take place. Later, when we read about Paul, we find out this is the place that Paul preached the gospel and he caused a riot and he was arrested. So it was a pretty impactful place. There was also a gigantic marketplace in the center of town with three huge archways that you could enter into. And in this marketplace, you could buy anything that you wanted. You know, we might talk about the Mall of America, but the Mall of Ephesus was epic. So Paul arrives into this incredible city in about 53. And as he enters into town, he preaches the gospel to anyone who will listen. He shares about the grace of God that has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And a church is formed. And Paul stays there in Ephesus to be the pastor of this church for two and a half years. And in that time, the church grows and grows and it expands and they plant other churches all over the region. Well, then after two and a half years, Paul leaves to go plant more churches and people who decided to follow Jesus, people who were pinnacle people in the church, started to fall away. You know, they were surrounded with so much temptation and they were surrounded by so many bad influences things started to go south. So six years after he left, Paul wrote them a letter. He sat down to remind them of who they are in Jesus, who they really are, what their true identity is. Paul's writing it to be a refresher, to be a reminder, to be a challenge, to be a positive vision for life. And the thing is, the book of Ephesians is full of themes and truths that are still so very relevant today. Because I think all of us at times struggle with who we really are. We struggle with what we're made to do, where we should put our focus, what our purpose is. And so in the first half of this letter, the first three chapters, Paul basically sets out to say the same thing over and over again. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. When you feel that you're going to slide back into your old patterns of behavior, remember who you are. If you feel worthless and useless, remember who you are. If your life starts to feel out of control and you don't know where to turn, remember 
who you are. When you have one of those days where you just don't even want to get out of bed and you just want to give up, remember who you are. When you start to find your identity in something that's fleeting and temporary, remember who you are. Paul says, remember how much God loves you. Remember how he poured out his mercy upon you. Remember how he gave you the gift of Jesus. Remember how he rescued you from darkness and has brought you into his light. Remember how he has created a unity in his family and he's invited us to be a part of it. Now, I think the interesting thing about these first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is that in these three chapters, Paul never tells us to do anything. Now, remember, this is a church that he poured his life into, that he discipled and he mentored, and now they've completely gone off the rails. And so it wouldn't be surprising at all if Paul would have decided to just say, what is up with you people? Get your act together. I can't believe you would do this. But that's not what Paul does at all. Instead, Paul simply chooses to talk about their true identity. Remember who you are. Now, I think every one of us looks in all sorts of different places to try to find our identity. Sometimes we find our identity in what we do. Sometimes we find our identity in what we've achieved. Sometimes we find our identity in what we're good at. Sometimes we find our identity in our relationships. Sometimes we find our identity in our wealth. But the problem is, what happens when what we find our identity in no longer exists? What happens when that job goes away? What happens when we lose that skill, or we lose a title, or we lose a paycheck? What happens to our identity? when it's based on something that simply doesn't last. So Paul focuses in this portion of Ephesians that we just read on three images. These three images deeply resonated with the Ephesian people. But I think these three images are also very relevant for us today as we think about who we are in Christ. So the very first image that Paul uses is the image of adoption. In verse 5, he says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God has adopted us into his family when we receive Christ. Because it gives him great pleasure. This is what makes God happy. This is your central and core identity. You are adopted by God through Jesus. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to convince God to give it to you. No, God took the action. He took the initiative first. And Jesus' life and his death is the key to this amazing adoption process. But to understand this image better, I think it's good to look at it through the lens of a first century Ephesian Christian. Because you see, child abandonment was incredibly common in Roman culture. 
In fact, most of the time when a baby was born, what happened afterwards is the baby was set at the father's feet. And the father would look at the child and then would decide. He would either pick the child up to receive it and to accept it, or he would simply walk away and reject it. Now, this could happen for any reason. It might be because it was the wrong gender. It might be because of a birth defect. It might be because it's crying too much. But it could be either accepted or rejected on the spot. Now, if that child was rejected, oftentimes it was brought to that giant marketplace and it was left on the street where someone else might come and take it to be raised as a slave or a prostitute. Other times that baby was brought outside of the gates of the city and left in the garbage dump. Again, maybe taken by somebody or just left to die. So this culture was very, very familiar with abandonment and rejection. And so Paul says to the Ephesians, God has adopted us because of his love. And he's writing to this culture that's just steeped in rejection and abandonment. And Paul is saying, if you have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter if you have been rejected. It doesn't matter if you've been abandoned. Because God has come personally to take you in. He picked you. Yes, you. And he went out of his way to choose you and to bring you into his family. Now, as you sit here tonight, if you've ever been rejected by someone, maybe a parent, a fiance, a spouse, a child, maybe a company, God's message for you is this. That is not who you are. That is not the defining moment of your life. The defining moment of your life is when God chose you, when he picked you up, and when he adopted you into his family. Now, maybe you still hear voices today, maybe voices that go all the way back to your childhood, voices that say, you don't belong, you'll never be good enough, no one wants you, no one likes you. The most important thing for you to remember is that God picked you up and he chose you for his family. When you decide to follow Jesus, your entire identity changes. You become an important part of his family. You get to share in all of his rights and privileges. And so when those voices of rejection and abandonment rise up, remember who you are. You belong. The next image that Paul uses in this chapter one of the book of Ephesians is the image of redemption. Now, sometimes redemption sounds like a very churchy word, but really redemption is just about money. To redeem something is to pay for it. So Paul says, in him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, Ephesus was the very epicenter of the Roman slave trade. 
its slave market was absolutely gigantic. Now, remember that market that we looked at earlier where you could buy anything you wanted? That included people. And remember those babies who were abandoned by the road? Many of them were raised to become slaves. So if you went out for a walk in Ephesus to do some errands or to do some shopping, more than likely you would come across and cross paths with many, many slaves. And if you decided to stop and have a conversation with one of them, you first would hear who owns them, who their owner is. And then they might tell you how much was paid for them. And they might even tell you how many times they had been sold in their life. And so one day, if you're out mingling around and you meet the slave, they might say, you know, I'm owned by a man named John, and he paid 20 pieces of silver to buy me. And so now I serve him. But Paul wants that person to know. He wants every person to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if we are in Christ, our primary identity is not that of a slave. Our primary identity is a child of God. And he would want that slave to know you don't belong to your owner, and you're not just worth 20 pieces of silver. Paul is saying to them, you have been fully redeemed, but not with any amount of money. No, with the blood of Jesus. When he died on the cross, he shed his blood to pay the penalty for every one of our sins, to pay the price so that we could be a part of his family forever. Now, obviously, there's nothing that comes close to how amazing that gift and that payment is. But I want you to just imagine a situation for a moment. You go out for dinner to a very fancy restaurant, or you go to a great event with someone. Maybe you're going to go golfing at a great golf course, or you're going to go to a movie or a play or a concert. And it comes to the end of dinner, or you get to the event, and you pull out your wallet, and you're ready to pay. But in that moment, the person you're with says, put your wallet away. I've already paid. It's paid in full. Now imagine how you feel in that moment. I mean, there's overwhelming gratitude. You feel incredibly valued, incredibly loved. It's a great moment. Now remember, Jesus redeemed you with his blood. He sacrificed his life so that we could have life. He took the first step. He paid full price. He purchased our freedom. And that means with that advance payment that he made, we don't owe God anything. All of our sins and debts are paid for once and for all. God has no more need to punish us because Jesus has paid the price. Now, we're fortunate to live in a place and a time where most of us will never have to be concerned or worry about being sold into slavery. But I think many of us often struggle with self-worth. We struggle with our status. We struggle with our purpose. It's all too easy to feel worthless, to feel useless, to feel too old, to feel too washed up, 
to feel too insignificant. And what Paul says to each one of us again and again is remember who you are. Remember who you are. He adopted you. He redeemed you. That means he paid for you. And that means both that you belong, but it also means you are valuable. You belong, and you're valuable. The last image that Paul uses in our passage for today is the image of being sealed. You see, slaves at this time in history were tattooed with a seal that would signify who their owner was. You know, kind of like livestock being branded or tagged. And so it was a tattoo either on your arm or your chest or your neck. So Paul says, and, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Paul's reminding the church of their history. He came and he shared the gospel with them. They heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And when they put their trust in Jesus, Paul says, you were sealed by God. Now, seals imply ownership. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, the main character Maximus has a tattoo on his shoulder which signified that he was a soldier in the emperor's army. Slaves were tattooed. Even servants sometimes were tattooed. Wealthy families would have a family seal that they would put on everything that belonged to them. And so Paul is writing to this culture who puts a seal on anything and anyone to show who they belong to, who purchased them, who their rightful owner is. But Paul is saying, when you trusted in Jesus, you received God's seal on your life. And that seal is a promise. And that's your real and true identity. God is declaring to the world, I adopted you and I redeemed you and you are mine. Don't forget who you are. The world might try to knock you down you're going to experience hardships and pain. We all do. You're going to struggle sometimes with loneliness and doubt. You're going to face disappointments, betrayals, and frustrations. But through it all, don't miss this truth. God has placed his seal on you. And he's saying, you are mine. Now think about what a difference it could make if you would hear those words in your moment of need. In those times of struggle, in those times of pain, when you feel hopeless, God is whispering, you are mine. When you feel alone, God's whispering to you, you are mine. When you feel scared, you are mine. When you lose a loved one, you are mine. When you can hardly get out of bed, you are mine. When you feel left out, you are mine. Don't forget who you are. Keep on reminding yourself, he adopted me. He paid for me. I am his. He adopted me. He paid for me. 
and I am his. This is who you really are. This is your true identity. It's all that really matters. It's not about titles. It's not about status. It's not about wealth. Your true identity is a child of God. And that should bring great freedom and great joy because it means you belong and it means you're valuable and it means you are his. Now the thing is when we live into this identity, it has the potential to impact every part of our life. When we remember who we really are and we live up to that, it means that we become better spouses and better parents and better friends, and better neighbors, and better coworkers, and better bosses. Because we don't need to prove anything to anyone. We live for an audience of one. So let's remember every day what our true identity is, and let that direct our life and our interactions. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You belong. You are valuable and you are his. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of your word which has been handed down century after century. We thank you for the truth that you shared to the Ephesians 2,000 years ago that is still relevant for us today. God, you know how much we struggle with our identity, with our purpose, with trying to figure out who we are and what we're supposed to do. And so remember, help us to remember who we are. Help us to remember our identity that comes from you. Help us to remember that you have adopted us, that you have paid for us, and that we are yours. God, you know so many times it's easy to doubt that, it's easy for us to forget that. And so help us to just hear that refrain day after day, day after day that we are yours and help us to live that out every single day in all that we say and do. And so God, we thank you for your amazing love and grace. And so we pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.